Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We got something a little different for you today. Had an opportunity recently to connect, just to like say hi to a Cuban podcaster. And that caught my attention immediately because I didn't know that Cuba had podcasters. I mean, I knew that Cuba had internet, and my understanding was that they only got it recently. I remember when I was a tech journalist covering stories of Cubans in Havana lining up for limited access to very shitty and censored internet. I am aware that Cuba does not have press freedom laws. I am aware that the state often transgresses and intimidates journalists in Cuba. So the very existence of a Cuban podcaster was interesting to me. I later learned that there is something of a Cuban podcasting boom right now. And the material does get critical of government. Well, instead of just meeting Camilo Condes, we decided to record our conversation to see if it's something that we might want to bring to you. And that is what we're going to do today. This was such a surprising person and such a surprising chat for me. I will admit that when I conjure up pictures in my head of Cubans, either I'm thinking of people who are like trying to escape on a like flimsy raft, taking their lives in their hands, or the only firsthand images I have in my head, I will confess are of Cubans in the service industry, uh, serving drinks and doing hospitality work in a resort that I went to in Veradero. I think that's the experience that a lot of Canadians have with Cubans. But if you check out Camilo Condes' Instagram, you will see the photo reel of a guy who does not fit either of those stereotypes. You'll see pictures of this guy seemingly with no issue getting out of Cuba anytime he wants. He is a globetrotting traveler, but he always returns to Cuba and returns to podcasting, even though every time he does it, he risks interrogation and intimidation from his own government. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Alicia Lavache, Aaron Wilson, Karen Friedman, Janine Danes, Rhonda Camo, Louis Forward, Tyler Farmer, and Jamie. I'm Jamie, and I'm an Australian living in Denmark who lived in Canada for more than a decade. I support Canada Land to stay aware of Canadian current affairs through a media critical lens, to hear stories that unfortunately aren't being told in the mainstream, like the incredible Thunder Bay, and for the way they hold the very polite Canadian media to account. And I appreciate that Jesse is making space for other voices who can challenge in new ways. 
he pasado la semana con un abanico en la mano y un ventilador entre las piernas. <risa> Ay, no necesitaba esa imagen en mi cabeza tan pronto. Voy a recibir a Michael en una aula a ver si me dan dinero a mí. Mira, está insinuando que... Bueno, está diciendo por la clara que soy... Camilo, can you tell me what is your podcast? What is uh, Radio Enjambre? My podcast, its title is El Enjambre. It's like the beehive. Uh -huh. It's a weekly podcast in Cuba. We post every Saturday night. Um, we try to tell the news... Um, At the same time, make fun of the news about Cuba. We don't talk about any international issues. We don't get into the politics or the news of any other country. We focus on what's happening in Cuba every week, and we try to discuss it using mainly the opinions of experts, academics, people who have a high knowledge about the country and why the things are happening, how they're happening, and what we can think about that. I found the Cuban me. This is what we do. We, uh, we have a podcast about uh, Canadian news. We talk to experts. We also make fun of it. And um, we don't really concern ourselves with the news outside of Canada. We're talking about Canada here. So it's, it's good to meet you. It's good to you. What do you like best about podcasting? I think it's to have the, in, in the case of the type of program I do, the type of show that I do, because I consider what we do a show. Uh, some people think that we're doing independent journalists, and I, I do understand that we do it in some sense, but I, I do like to call it a show in the sense that we try to entertain to our listeners. Mm -hmm. And I think what I like the most is to get the people to open their eyes about issues that are happening in Cuba, problems that we have that are not in the mainstream uh, news For example, academic journals, right? And they write a very good article about Cuba. How many people are going to read that? Not many. But I get to take that information, add some jokes, put it in a way that any Cuban in sitting on a corner can talk about this, and then people can digest this information easily, and they can learn something they wouldn't have never heard about if we didn't do it. Yeah, you can take serious stuff and make a show, entertain people and engage them. How popular is your show, if, if that's not too uh, personal? Every week, according to the stats, I have around 10,000 plays per episode. I have a picture in my head of life in Cuba, of the Cuban internet, and it's a bit of a cartoon. I have to confess, I last checked in on Cuba as a technology reporter, and you know this is a good 15 years ago or more. And there was like a story about the one internet cafe in Havana where people had to line up to get a few minutes of really crappy internet. I didn't know that podcasting existed in Cuba. When I look at your Instagram, forgive me, I don't see images of, of a, a, you know, an impoverished person trying to flee Cuba. And I see somebody who's an entrepreneur taking pictures from sightseeing destinations, vacations all around the world. It looks like... Uh, the Instagram account of a well-traveled, uh, relatively happy and healthy entrepreneur. What can you tell me, to disabuse me of some of these notions, tell me about like who you are, why you are still in, in Cuba, and what what is like digital culture in Cuba? How big is podcasting in Cuba? Tell me everything you can. Yeah, I, I think the first thing I, I must say is that 
Instagram never tells the truth. <laughs> but your lies are just as convincing as everyone else's. Exactly. Yeah, I know that. Let's add a little bit of context. You are completely right. 15 years ago, it was impossible to freely access to the internet or easily access because it's not really free right now in Cuba as there is a lot of censorship. But back in November 2018, the Cuban government for the first time allowed us Cubans to access to the internet through mobile data. So for the first time on our cell phones, sitting on our couch, we were able to access to the internet. And I think this has changed a lot in our country in every sense, and especially politically. A year later, in September 2019, I decided to make a podcast because I had spent a whole year listening to podcasts from other countries and listening to what people were producing and saying. I wanted to do something <laughs> like that. So I created a podcast where three very different people could discuss the weekly news in our country. In my case, I have had the opportunity to travel abroad. Right now, actually, I'm in Vancouver, I'm in Canada, because I'm at the Latin American Studies Association. It's a big professional network, mainly of academics, studying Latin America, where I came to talk about labor issues in the private sector in Cuba. So that's, that's why you see these pictures on Instagram, mostly from professional events that I attend. The reality is that most Cubans, especially right now, they are eager to leave the country. They're trying to flee the country because we are in the middle of a very bad economic and political situation. So where do you fit in? Uh, what is your life like? And when you, when you call yourself an entrepreneur, what is your business and is it podcasting? Is that, do you make money from podcasting or, or do you have something else? No, I have a company back in September 2021. For the first time, the Cuban government allowed private companies to be open in Cuba. Uh -huh. So I became part of the, the people who ventured to legalize our businesses because we were uh, categorized by the government as cuenta propistas. This would be something like self-employed. So before that, we were only allowed to be like this self-employed that it was a figure where you could have a business, but you were not a legal proper company or, you know, or a business. So since September 2021, we are uh, proper businesses. I have a small company of electrical contractors. His name is Lucendi. We are LLCs. Limited liability companies, yeah, for the first time, yeah. Exactly. According to the most recent data, we have around 8,000 private companies in Cuba. That's fascinating. For private companies to be two years old, for the mobile internet to be five years old, and you are deeply involved in both of those things, and that tells one story of Cuba, like it's opening up, people are able to build wealth, communication is opening up, expression is opening up. That's one story. But then the fact that hundreds of thousands of people are fleeing, uh, that tells a different story. Yeah, because it's not white and black. Even though we have private companies, I don't think that the government is really opening to us. There was a big, the biggest citizen protest in the history of Cuba happened in July 2021. 
just two months later, the government, <laughs> for the first time, approved private companies, you know, as a way to relieve the economy. Uh -huh. So I don't think that the government is trying to open up in any way. I don't think there is more freedom of expression in Cuba. I think actually there is even less freedom of expression compared to five years ago. There are a lot of political activists and independent journalists who have been forced into exile. But the government uh, is only trying to sustain itself by allowing people to open up private companies to provide employment for Cubans so they don't have to provide employment for them and pay them a salary. This is how I see it. I don't think they're trying to empower the Cuban people. They're trying to make it last longer for themselves. Okay, so what that was was uh, what we call free expression, criticism of the state, the role of you know journalism or commentary uh, criticism. It's something that I was under the impression you are not allowed to do. And actually, one of the people who kind of buttressed my notion that uh, you live in a repressive dictatorship that, that forbids such things is uh, yourself. I learned from your website that in 2021, the Cuban government issued a decree attempting to define acceptable speech on the internet. Here are the two things you're not allowed to do. I found this really interesting. You're not allowed to spread false news or make comments that damage the prestige of the country. Our country is also uh, looking at uh, trying to stop the spread of fake news, and uh, critics of that would say that that's actually just the government trying to stop uh, anti-government sentiment, and people say that's ridiculous. Uh, this isn't Cuba over here. But the Cuban decree bundles false news and uh, you know government-damaging speech into the same anti-social media decree. How were you able to say this thing to me now? How were you able to podcast and I, I assume say similar things? I, uh, uh, if you do, is your podcast critical? I don't know how you would talk about the news and politics without being critical, but I, I suppose it's possible. Uh, what are the laws? Are, are, are you involved in a dangerous enterprise in podcasting in Cuba? It's not only about the country, but also the uh, government officials. Actually, there is one very notorious case of a person who is not actually into any type of media of any type, just a person doing Facebook videos in his house that was criticizing uh, the Cuban president Miguel Díaz-Canel, and he spent two years in jail because of that. He was released recently. Mm -hmm. And this tells you how bad the situation can get in Cuba. But yes, there are different, let's say, different degrees of censorship in the country and different ways that people are criticizing what's happening in Cuba. I don't think there are many people in the country that are happy with the current state. I don't think there are many people in the country that are not criticizing the current state of our country or government officials. And I think this is a majority of the people right now who are unhappy with the situation that we are living. The censorship has different degrees and we have tried to not burst into flames too quick. You just said the dictatorship in our country, um, we have never used those terms. We have never said dictatorship, regime, dictator. Mm -hmm. We never use that kind of language in our podcast. We try to 
be as respectful as we can. You know, we say President Diaz-Canel, the government of Diaz-Canel. I was once interviewed, this is the term (laughs) state security in Cuba calls to be interrogated because I was being very harsh on on the podcast to our uh, Minister of Economy, especially because he's not an economist and knows nothing about the economy. And I had to tone down these direct attacks I was doing because uh, I would suffer consequences. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Listen up, freaks, weirdos, uh, free thinkers. You've been thinking out of the box for too long. Where's it gotten you after it's all said and done? Come back to Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out when you've got a beautiful website. You can engage with your audience. You can sell anything. You know what I'm saying? Sell anything. Your products, the content you create, even your time. I've used Squarespace to make a couple of standalone websites for various podcasts that we've launched. It is stupid easy to make a beautiful website. And once you've got a beautiful website that's like kind of already been built before you get there and you just make it your website, once it's your website and it's live, you get all of it. Analytics, search engine optimization to make sure that your website actually gets seen and shows up. Member areas, social media integration, everything you could want has been thought of and it's a living thing As the web evolves, your website stays relevant. It's not one of those weird old broken websites that a year later when you've moved on to other things, but you still need the website to work. Yeah, it's still working because you've got support and you've got a back end that is constantly updating. It's not frozen in time. Here's what you want to do. Go to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand. Get a free trial. See what I'm talking about. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash CanadaLand, offer code CanadaLand. Yo no traigo un titular, sino una nota informativa. Ustedes saben que a mí me encantan, me apasionan las notas informativas. Es una cosa obsesiva. Si hay un comunicado... Well, yeah, they don't want you to poke the bear really hard. So what we try to do is we mostly use official data and we mostly use official news articles from government newspapers to prove a point. So we try to depend on the information, the very, very little information they provide to paint a picture about how bad the situation is in the country and to make people understand how bad the situation is in the country without trying to uh, rely on information or data that is not verified or information or data that they think is untrue, that is false. Because, yes, if they consider that you are providing false information, you will also suffer the consequences. You can be fined, but you can be arrested uh, because of this. So we try to stay away from all of that. And what we say is like, okay, this is the info I have. This is the info I'm going to use. And we're going to talk about this. Well, that answers one question. I mean, the fact that you're able to do this is not because you're flying under the radar. The government is listening and they did knock on your door when you got close to that line or maybe put a toe over it. It's also fascinating for me to hear. You can criticize them as long as you're using their information to do so. 
that feels delicate to me because that's a thin line. If you can work within those constraints and really level a devastating critique, I doubt they would say, oh, well, at least he's playing by the rules. I guess there's nothing we can do. The rules could probably change pretty quickly. Yeah, the rules change constantly. And also there is something in our favor. We strongly oppose countrywide sanctions on Cuba. And we are very vocal about this. And this is something that the government also does. They are constantly complaining about the U.S. embargo, I, I do believe they are wrong, and I do criticize these sanctions. Uh-huh. I do not think that the whole Cuban people should be under the scope of these sanctions. So some of the things you say and believe are aligned with what the government says, and that makes this a bit more complicated. Regarding sanctions on the Cuban people, yes. How do those sanctions factor into your business as a podcaster? We run a podcasting business here. where mostly in Canada, but from all over the world. People send us money directly through, you know, intermediaries, you know, Patreon and Supercast. We sell merchandise. We sell advertising. I don't know if there are Squarespace ads or MeUndies or, uh, you know, mattress ads on your podcast from American companies. We do a lot of business with American companies here. How do you pay for your podcast? How do the sanctions factor into your business as as a, a podcast professional? So, when we started, I had no, no budget, no money to create a podcast. So I went to visit the head of El Toque. El Toque is an independent media in, in Cuba. I went to see him. I told him, I have this idea. I want to do this podcast. And if you provide the budget for me to produce my podcast, this is going to be a podcast by El Toque. Is it a newspaper? What is it? Is it a website? Today, it's all online. It's both, right. He actually said, you know, let's let's run four episodes and see what happens. <laughs> but, you know, by episode two, he was convinced that it was going to work. So, so, yeah, yeah, let's do this. So we started working with them and they were providing the budget. One of the first things he told me, and I was very pleased to hear this, we do not accept any funds or grants from the U.S. government, especially those funds that are designed for what they call regime change. And these are funds that are under the the scope of the Cuban government. They want to see where this, because these are public funds, you know, it's online where the money is going and how there is being used. So I said, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I don't want to get in trouble because you really get in trouble in Cuba if you use funds from the U.S. government for the regime change to produce anything. So we started working with with them. They would provide the the funds to us. And that was like this until September 2022, last year, when all of the people who were working for a token in Cuba, or at least all of the people I knew, were called by state security to have a meeting and they told us that we would face serious consequences if we continue working with them. So all of these journalists, designers, uh, software developers, all of them had to actually drop working with them. And El Enjambre had to detach from El Toque, and now we're alone. Why did the government take those actions against El Toque? Because they thought that El Toque was being very harsh in, in, in what they were publishing about uh, the Cuban government. They just decided they can't do it. That's the thing you have to understand. There are no consequences for them. If they don't like something, they can just strip it away. There is 
nothing you can do about that. That could happen to you tomorrow. Of course, that could happen anytime. It could happen today. And this is something that you need to understand about Cuba. You won't go to any court to, you know, to challenge the government because the courts are uh, not independent in Cuba. And this is official news. This is not something I'm just saying. You know, the, the government recognizes that the courts are, are part of the government and they're not independent, right? Yeah. So when we were working with Etoka, we started accepting donations through PayPal, I guess something like you do. And the first thing we encountered was that one person wrote a memo on PayPal and she said, this is the best Cuban podcast and I really support you. So PayPal froze <laughs> El Toque's PayPal account because if you write Cuba, Cuban or whatever related to Cuba on a memo on PayPal, they will close down your account. Even though if you're not in Cuba, if you go to a Cuban restaurant and you say, oh, we'll, I love the Cuban restaurant. Here is my split of the fair. Uh, they will close your account and they will freeze your money. Uh -huh. So they were able to solve this because they're not, they're, they're a legal organization abroad. They're not in, in Cuba, you know, legally. They, they presented all the paperwork and, and they solved it. But once uh, we had to separate from them, we stopped having the ability to get donations because as a Cuban, I cannot open a PayPal or a Stripe or whatever account. Violates the embargo. Because of the US embargo. Yeah. Yeah. So then how do you do it? So I have some leftover uh, budget that is what I have been using to continue producing this season. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm trying to find a third party abroad that uh, will help me to accept donations so we can continue producing in the future. Where you live, there doesn't exist efforts from the American government to change hearts and minds. There is money available for anti-Cuban government propaganda. And then there are dire consequences for accepting that money and creating media that, um, you know, fits that narrative. But does that mean you can't take other money because it might be considered that kind of regime change funding? How does that work? To be honest, I haven't risked <laughs> to try that. So you just don't take foreign money because you're out of caution? Of course. Yeah. I will always accept donations from my listeners, but... I'm very worried that the Cuban government could build a case against me if I take a money from a government, let's say. Right. So I try not to do that. Have you been offered that? I have. I have. I won't say details, of course, but I'm very worried about that being a problem for me. Camilo, is it a question that you are not critical enough of the government to incur their wrath? Is it a show that is conceived of as uh, taking it easy on the government? We have a lot of criticisms. I don't think that a common criticism will be like we are being very soft on the government, but we do have a lot of criticism that we are not hard enough on the government. And you see this a lot on social media in Cuba, where people say it's all or nothing, where people think that if you don't say all of the words, um, you're not doing the right job. I don't see it that way. I have faced and I have seen many Cubans facing the direct consequences of this. For me, my work is like a marathon, not a 100 meter run. I want to be able to have a very objective and clear way of saying things 
that would allow me to roam for as long as possible. But also, there is another thing. We have a lot of listeners who are people who currently support the Cuban government. And they would never listen to us if we talk about dictatorship and regime and all of this. They would never listen to our show because they don't want to get involved in that type of speech. So what I try to do is to get as many people to listen to us as possible. And I want to try to bring them a very objective view on what is happening in Cuba. So I don't care about the criticisms on our work from people who want us to be uh, even harder on the government because I am happy just by opening eyes to issues that are not being discussed every day in our country. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of, organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm gonna recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you wanna take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1, try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Las familias de Marte Roberto se opusieron a su noviazgo. Había un muerto por en medio y aquellas familias se tenían un odio. Bueno, la cosa es que ellos se querían mucho y por eso por las noches ya tarde. You are speaking to me from a conference in Vancouver. I'm sure there are many Cubans who would very much like to be in Canada, or at least that's something that we're told here. And I suppose if you wanted to, you could just not go home. I have to be honest about this. I'm a person who is very objective and logical, and I don't have a very objective and logical explanation for why I don't want to flee my country. I think Cuba is home. I have 
had the opportunity to, to travel abroad. I have been in Europe, other places in Latin America. I have traveled extensively to the US. This is my first time in Canada. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. But I have never felt at home abroad. I have never felt like a place where, yeah, I can see myself living here, you know. Maybe it's because I'm doing, you know, just a visit to a country and I know exile is completely different because you are forced to go to this country and you're forced to get accustomed to this country, right? But I just don't see myself. And, and for me, it's hurting that people are being forced to leave the country. Uh, some of them actively by the government and some of them in a passive way. Because if you have nothing to eat, if you see your kids starving, you are being forced out of your country. And I want to see change in my country. I want to see a country where people feel free to speak their mind. I want them to be well. I want them to don't have to worry about what I'm going to have for dinner tonight, because this is a very common problem for humans. So this is a, a, a complete different mindset in our country for what the issues are and, and what the real problems are. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, you are uh, traveling and, and you say that you, uh, you love Vancouver? I've only been here for two days. I'm going to leave soon, but yeah, uh, I think it's a, it's a pretty city. Although I have to be honest, I have been impressed by the amount of homeless doing drugs in the street, just in front of everybody. Like the morning I arrived, I was walking downtown, at, I think this is downtown, around 7.30 a.m. All of these homeless people were doing drugs, but like right there, I was like, wow, I've never seen this. And I have been coast to coast in the U.S. I have never seen this in my life. And it shocked me, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's a terrible problem and a lot of people are dying from toxic drugs. Um... While we're talking, is there anything uh, I can uh, I can answer for you? Anything you're curious about? Uh... Um, you are telling me that you have a, a, a cartoonish view on Cuba and repression and freedom of speech and the political situation. But at the same time, Canada is one of the main issuers of tourists to Cuba. Like Canadians go to Cuba a lot. So my question would be like, are all Canadians aware of the situation and they say, let's go there to go to a hotel anyway? How does this work? That is an excellent question. Well, I have been to an all-inclusive resort in Veradero. I have been to the, uh, you know, the one-day day trip to Havana to uh, sip a cocktail at the bar where Hemingway hung out. And... I simultaneously have a narrative about Cuba, which is largely something I receive through the American media, which is, you know, the vast overwhelming majority of what Canadians read and watch and listen to as American. So those are two concepts that do exist simultaneously, that this is a tropical paradise where my dollar spends well, and also that this is a horrible repressive place that people uh, are dying uh, in the ocean to flee where there's no real freedom and people are starving. I think that the way that those ideas are able to coexist are through a rationalization that it wouldn't do Cubans any good to not go to these resorts. In fact, perhaps we're even helping by doing that. 
And I think that those ideas are allowed to coexist or able to coexist because I have never been forced to actually witness or have I chosen to witness any of these, um, you know, either human rights abuses or this poverty that I, I know exists firsthand. And I think that um, part of what Canadians buy when they buy these vacation packages is a curated experience that keeps those sites away from us. So I recognize as I answer your question how feeble an answer it is, but I think that probably is the answer about how those things are able to happen at the same time. I guess I would advise you that the next time you go to Cuba, go to a private lodge, like a private apartment, like an Airbnb, something like that, and you will be, you will be supporting Cubans much more. Uh-huh. I do want the private sector in Cuba to grow, to become stronger, so we can be an agent of change, because we want to see change in our country, and we are very, 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 very limited uh, by the government. So anytime a Canadian has the opportunity or want to, wants to visit Cuba, if they can say, you know, I'm not going to the all-inclusive, I want to meet the Cubans, I want to talk to them, I'm going to stay at the private house, I'm going to eat at private restaurants, and I'm going to really and fully support them. That, that would be my advice to you and all Canadians listening to us. I think that's really good advice, and that's, that's some of the best travel advice I've received. Let me ask you this. Canadians have been going on uh, vacations to Cuba, and largely they are marketed as budget vacations to Cuba for decades. What do they think of Canadians? I have an image in my head about Cubans. What is the image that uh, Cubans have of Canadians? I think the best way to tell you about this is back in 2015, 16, maybe, I was also in Baradero in an all-inclusive hotel, Mm -hmm. and I met a couple of Canadians over there. We were playing pool, you know, and they told me that this was their fifth trip to Cuba. I said, oh, wow, so you like Cuba a lot. So what do you think about Havana, you know, Camagüey, Trinidad? Yeah, we don't know about that. (laughs) What do you mean? Oh, yeah, we get a plane, we arrive to the airport, get on my bus, go to the hotel, spend a few days, go back in the bus, go to the airport and go back home. They don't experience Cuba. They experience a hotel in Cuba, and that hotel could be anywhere in the world. I I don't think that will make any difference, you know. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, you have been five times to Cuba, and you don't know Cuba at all. You don't know anything. So I think because of this, I don't think many Cubans have not a strong opinion, but any opinion at all on Canadians, because they don't get to interact with Canadians, because Canadians don't go to Cuba to interact with Cubans. These are two countries that have been in contact for a long time, but maybe we, we haven't yet met each other. Yeah, very superficial contact, yeah. Camilo, I have to ask you, when we're discussing the relationship between Canada and Cuba, uh, the relationship between the Trudeau family, and, and specifically between Pierre Trudeau and Fidel Castro, uh, is one of the like first things that comes to mind. Is, is this something that Cubans are as aware of as Canadians? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think many Cubans even remember <laughs> Pierre Trudeau. I don't think so. And I don't think many Cubans are worried about Canadian politics. You know, we are very focused on U.S. politics. Cubans will always know who is the U.S. president. <laughs> but 
in the case of Canadians, who we have a lot of Canadians visiting, it's outstanding that we know nothing about Canada, we don't know nothing about you. And for me, this should change, you know? You know, the fact that um, Castro was a pallbearer at the funeral of Pierre Trudeau, uh, images of the connection between those two families. There's a, there's a bit of a political narrative there of this alliance that's al- almost a rebuke, almost a middle finger to the states, you know, which is sort of woven into this idea for many years uh, that, uh, you know, despite the relationship that Cubans have with the U.S., and there's, of course, a huge Cuban community in Florida and elsewhere, we can go there, but they can't. And, and you know, Canadians have this, have this access that Americans don't. It's interesting to hear that that's a one-way street uh, that Canadians think about and Cubans don't. I got to ask you, do you know about this very strange conspiracy theory? Do you know about the... Th- about the... Go ahead. You say it. Come on. I've only seen this on U.S. media, okay? <laughs> you, you don't get this discussion in Cuba. What am I talking I've about? What am I talking about? The song? <laughs> that Justin Trudeau is the illegitimate yeah. son of Fidel Castro. <laughs> A conspiracy theory which I think has never been mentioned before on Canada Land until I've had the opportunity to speak to a Cuban podcaster. But, yeah, this is it's not part of, the, of, of Cuban Twitter. No, it's, it's not. I don't think so. You know, like right now, I'm learning from you that Fidel Castro was a pallbearer at Pierre Trudeau. I, I didn't even know that. Like Cubans are not <laughs> learning about Canada, anything about Canada. You know, we, we know it's cold and you have birds. That's it. <laughs> you, we know nothing more from you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could be offended, but really, honestly, why would you? Why would you know these things? There's really no reason for you to. Camilo, to kind of review everything you've told me, you're podcasting on what's left of some initial funding. Your acceptability to the government, who have hauled you in for questioning and are listening to what you say very carefully, and the fact that you're allowed to keep doing what you're doing has something to do with the fact that on certain issues, you support the government's point of view. Um, But if at any point in time, you change your mind about that alignment, or if the criticism outweighs the support you could face consequences that, you know, being shut down would probably be the uh, the least of what might happen to you. You got it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. So why do it? I think I can't stop doing it. I, I just started the podcast because I had something to say. I wanted to say it. I have, you know, thousands of people who listen to us, who understand what we're saying, who want to to see our take on any issues, and I think I owe it to them. I'm always honest about, I'm not suicidal. I I know that if someday consequences are too hard for me, I know I will drop this. I'm completely honest about this. But as long as I can do this, I'm gonna do it. Camilo, it's, uh, it's always good to meet a fellow podcaster. Thank you for chatting with me today, and good luck with everything you're doing. No, thank you for having me here. I'm really glad I had this opportunity. Thank you for having me. That is your Canada Land podcast, and I want you to consider supporting it. We rely on listeners just like you, people just like you listening right now, to pay us to make these things. And if you become a supporter, we're going to give you premium access to all of our shows. No ads early releases, bonus content. You'll get our exclusive newsletter. You'll get discounts on our merch. You'll get invites and tickets to our live events and our virtual events. 
But here's the real thing. You will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Why not just do this right now? Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand, and our website is canadaland.com. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. Additional production and editing from Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor, and our editor-in-chief is Karen Pugliese. I am your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So-Called. Syndications handled by CFUV 101.9 in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. <laughs>